Mike, we have a great audience today and some great guests and a great topic. Yes, we do. What are we talking about today? Yes, we are talking about turning your undergraduate students or I suppose future alumni into graduate students at your institution. Why is that important? Well, the longer term we have a relationship with our uh, students, our alumni, et cetera, uh, frankly, it maximizes the connection, the affinity they have for their institution. And also the revenue doesn't hurt as well. I can listen to you talk about that all day. I love talking revenue. I know, yes. but we but we also have two really cool guests that have agreed to come on with us. Both um, Kenesha Golden Griffins, like they yourself. are. Yes. Uh, let's meet our guest. Um, we have two wonderful guests for you today. Mike Seaman, who is a mongoose client success lead, formerly from Kenesha's College, um, and Lauren Kisak, who is the associate director of graduate admissions at Kenesha's. Lauren, I'll start with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. I've been at Canisius. It will be coming up on eight years uh, in November. And before that, I worked six years at a SUNY school. So I've had experience right now at both the public and private levels for grad admissions. Mike Seaman, um, say hello to the audience and tell them a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah, thanks, Greg and Mike. I'm Mike Seaman, and uh, I've spent five years before my time at Mongoose actually working in graduate admissions, learned a lot from Lauren when we worked closely together uh, at Canisius, and then I also have some experience working in Division I college athletics, so excited to talk a little bit about uh, grad admissions today and how we can kind of move students through and keep them at the institution. Awesome. So obviously there's a process in place that our, um, that our guests are here to talk about. Yes. So we just have them dive right in and just, I think we should, we don't like to bury the lead here on FYI. No, we do not. If you came here today to find out about this topic, we want you to be welcomed and get that information right away. So Mike, right. yeah. where do we start? Who do we start well, with? I would think for most institutions, if you have graduate programs, naturally your undergraduate population is probably going to be one of, if not your largest feeder, correct? And as a secondary point, what factors make that more or less likely? Yeah, so I think it depends on the trends, obviously, what the market is showing, but probably many schools see their incoming grad cohort made up of those undergrad students coming right out. So one thing first to keep in mind, check your data, see if your incoming graduate group is coming right from your undergraduate population. One thing that we saw, especially this fall, and I'm wondering if many of you also saw the same thing, you know, if the job market is hot, there might be a delay then in undergrads coming into grad school. So this particular population might be holding off on grad school for various reasons. A job might be the main one, especially in this current economy. Some things that we saw this past fall semester, students need to pay their bills as well. So there could be all different factors, especially right now, affecting why your undergraduate population might not be feeding directly into the grad. Um, they just got a lot going on and there's a lot happening in the world at the same time. Mike, I'd love your response to that as too. I had a follow-up about it, but I want to hear from Mike. Yeah, I think a big thing, too, is don't take those undergraduates for granted. How many of them actually know that you have graduate programs? How much information is being sent to them or dispersed to them when they are at your institution? And like Lauren said, even if now isn't the right time for them, 
you're able to get them that information at some point, keep you fresh on their mind, there's a very, very high possibility you're going to be the first people they come back to when they are, in fact, ready to do that grad school journey. But make sure that you're having the ability to reach out to them, even if it's utilizing different offices on your campus, making those partnerships to people who might have more connection to those current students. It's a huge way to kind of get those graduate programs front and center on their mind and make sure that you are the uh, people that they're going to when it is time for them. Mike makes a great point about making a connection because the factors that uh, that Lauren had mentioned, they're going to change so often that that decision isn't like that. Uh, uh, a student that wants to decide to go into a graduate program, their mind might change week to week, month to month as well. Absolutely. So keeping that open dialogue is important. Yeah. In fact, I would wonder, do you think the familiarity with the institution because you're an undergraduate is a barrier because there's a desire maybe to seek something more exotic or do you think it is a uh is a, is a crutch or i guess something that would uh, would help an institution because um they have that familiarity already um i think it, it can go either way so um for us specifically we are a small school so that has allowed us to kind of utilize undergraduate faculty and staff who are or who have been working with these students for two to four years now Another thing to keep in mind, this is the COVID group. So they spent possibly two years fully remote at the school that they originally chose. If there's a graduate option, maybe they can extend that, come into the graduate program, stay at that same institution, expand on the program that they did at the undergrad level or break out into something new, but you already have them. So it's a great opportunity to just give them additional opportunities to stay in a, a level of comfortability you know, they, they know the same people and you could also utilize that. And if you have faculty who teach at both the undergrad and grad level, you kind of have built in recruitment with those faculty members if they teach in both areas, because now they're going to make recommendations for their own students to stay on for grad school. Definitely. And I think a big piece to that, too, is having that relationship with other people who might know those students better than you do. In the grad world, we might think that we know a lot about those students that we currently have on campus. But in reality, how much do we actually talk to them before they actually apply for uh, graduate programs? So understanding what their experience has been like this far, understanding what their needs and their wants are can really help you craft some specific messaging to them to entice them to stay on and make sure that they want to remain with your institution. They've had a great experience so far. It's definitely going to be easy easier to have that uh, continuation conversation for them to stay at your school. But if not, there's still time for you to kind of change that too. If there's things that you can position in front of them, uh, there's ways that you can make sure you're getting to them early to uh, really have that ability to capture them for the future. Boy, I already got two tangents. Can I do one? Great, okay. please. Because, um, you know, Canisius, the institution in, uh, mentioned is a smaller school. Mm -hmm. um, there might be people in the audience that um, are at larger institutions. So I want to make sure we serve them. By the way, specific questions to your institution, get them in the chat. Let's answer them together. So don't be shy. Um, we want to make sure that you're represented in our conversation today. Um, speaking of that, so you might have a larger school where you have to reach out to more students and you only have so many resources. So you want to kind of um, make sure that you're putting the work in in the right places so you're not kind of spinning your wheels. Um, how do you gauge when you have that small school atmosphere where you can you kind of know where students are at and how they feel about your institution? So is it advantageous for an institution to send out a survey to alumni who have just graduated, even to just see what they think about their experience at the school. That way, when you're recruiting for, uh, when you're, you know, grad recruiting, um, you kind of know where to put your, the work in. Does that make sense? 
yeah, the more information you can collect from especially your alumni, if you have an alumni office or another office that is already tasked with doing some type of survey for maybe outcomes, if you can connect with that office and then tack on the grad piece, you know, what were their thoughts on undergrad? Have they thought about grad school? Have they thought about staying at the institution that they graduated from? You know, try and work work smarter, not harder. Yeah. If other people are already reaching out to those individuals, connect with that person or that office because maybe then you can incorporate some of your messaging and then they're not being bombarded with different messages from different areas. It's one particular survey and it has different aspects to it that would be helpful for us on the recruitment side. Yeah, and I think it really goes back to what Lauren said earlier. The more data you have, the better off you're going to be. And if other people are collecting that data, we'll use it to your advantage and make sure that you're providing your insight and your feedback as well so that the process for everybody is easier. Very good. Yeah. So how does that experience of reaching out to your most recent alumni, your current undergraduate students, how would that contrast with alumni who maybe have been out more than a decade? Well, it's trickier. So the great thing about accessing your current students is the keyword their access. You have it. You can get to those current students more so than you could to your alumni. Unless if you're a school that has a really fantastic alumni office that knows exactly where everybody is, you're in a great position. But if if you're at a large school and maybe that's not, you know, as accessible, you know, if you have current students, that's the best way to get in touch with them. You can drop that you know, that information early. So if they're not ready for it, when they graduate, you've already kind of laid the seeds of what they could do if they want to return a year, five years later, that we would still have programs available for them. So it's definitely, I think, more so access. You know, if you've, if you've got the list of current students and where to get it, for us, it was our registrar's office. We were able to get a list of current students and that's how we started our outreach to them. Um, but just be creative. If you know other offices across your campus, get in touch with them. If you are a large school, start small. Maybe start within one particular school and work there and see if you can get that list. And then if you have results from it, try and expand it to get buy-in from other departments so that way you can have access to the students. I think another layer to that too is your messaging is going to be vastly different to those two groups of people. Somebody who's 10 years out isn't going to want to hear the same thing as somebody who's just graduated. So crafting and tailoring specific messaging and even showing them people that have been in their position maybe 10 years from their career and this is what happened to them after they went back, that's going to be a different message than you're sending to somebody who's just graduated and is coming back to kind of maybe take that next step and prepare themselves. There's a lot to go with here. Sure. I know you got to follow up. I want you to I don't actually you don't have a follow. No. Okay, that's okay. Go for it. Uh, I want to know specifically, Lauren. So it, it, is, it is a lot about um, working with other um, departments. And I'm glad to see some repeat um, visitors here to FYI, because I know we get um, audience members from all different departments in higher education. How often do you communicate with um, the uh, alumni departments at your institution, uh, 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 either to reach out to see if you can assist them or to solicit help from them for this specific mission? Well, for us, we're really focused on our current undergrads. So not yet looking at alumni, which we will get lists from actually from institutional research. That's where we will get our lists of graduates. And then we also ask for clearinghouse information. So did they go on to enroll in a graduate program elsewhere? We can get that from institutional research. That gives us um, a little bit more to go off of than possibly what we might, at least for our school, get from our alumni office. Our alumni office is a little bit tasked more with 
where are they at now? What are they doing? For us, we want to know, did they enroll in grad school? If yes, okay, maybe there's potential later down the road if they want to come back for different reasons. But if they have not, that's a target group now for us. They have not gone elsewhere. Now we know that if they want to come to grad school, we can put certain messages out there that say, return to Canisius or return to the school that you graduated from. You provide other incentives for returning, return to people that are already familiar with you. Or if you're able to develop a scholarship even for your alumni, use that in your messaging as well to create some incentive. So that's how we've kind of looked at alumni. But undergrad students, it's where we're putting a lot of focus right now. Um, and Mike and I have talked about this too, that sometimes these students need a little bit of influence. Hmm. They're growing up in a, a time where, you know, they see influencers everywhere. So for some of our undergrad students, they need to kind of be told, oh, here's your undergrad major. You know, it would be a great fit for grad school. How about these programs that we offer? And putting that messaging in so that way, kind of guiding them a little bit toward opportunities that they might not have thought of beforehand. Yeah, really taking a hard look at some of your feeder programs what would be kind of a natural fit for some of your grad programs is a great place to start. That way you're able to really identify what students could really thrive in a program. Because if you set them up for success that way, that's going to make them feel so much better about that experience too. We're going to have takeaways at the end. And yes, something they both mentioned will definitely be in the takeaways, but um, definitely showcasing accomplishments is one of them. But Absolutely. go ahead with your follow-up question. Do you believe part of the role of a staff member might be to identify a student who shows a particular interest in a topic and maybe routing them to the institution's grad program? So in the context of Canisius, I think about specifically the HESA program in sports administration. There are plenty of Division One athletes. There are plenty of people who love the rah-rah school spirit, student activities kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, naturally at, uh, you know, Kanisha would be easier probably to push them in that direction. Do you think that's a role? Because it's that, such a great school. Well, that too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, aside from uh, the, the academic reputation of Kanisha, but, um, you know, having those programs, like, is, is that a role that staff should take on? And if so, how do you approach them so they are allies and don't feel like they're just getting dumped on uh, another task here? If you think about it, and if we all think about it this way, Everybody at your institution should be ambassadors for telling students to come there, really. I mean, it could be anybody, anybody that wears um, the logo of your school, your university, your mascot, and somebody walks up to them and asks what they do. Oh, have you thought about this school? Have you thought about, you know, coming here? If we task it that way, I mean, all of us across this campus, across your campuses, should have a hand in you know making a recommendation for anybody to attend the institution so it's kind of it should be built in but sometimes it's not uh, but if you have faculty and staff staff especially maybe they've gone through your graduate programs or it, the more information you give them the more willing they are to help you if you give them context for what we're trying to do then they can kind of make those connections themselves so if they are working with a student who has expressed some interest in working in higher education and you have a higher education master's program, obviously there's a built-in reference there. I hope you thought about this program. I did it or I can connect you to somebody else who's done it. Um, we specifically did referrals across campus for our higher education master's program, asking for any faculty or staff member that's worked with students that if you see a student that has a strong interest in working in higher ed, you know, complete this referral form and then we get their information and they can do additional outreach that they have been personally recommended to apply for this program. 
I think a big part of it is educating to some of your staff members. If you have, say, career services or academic advisors, do they really know anything about your grad programs? Do they know that you offer specific grad programs? If you provide them some information, even at the start of each semester, if you did a, a brief training, even sending out a video type training, that's a great way to identify for them students that they think might be good fits and they can connect with you directly. A lot of the times those students build the relationships with those on service or on, on campus personnel. They don't necessarily think to go to a grad admissions team or a grad admissions office to ask the questions. They're often asking the questions of the people they're most familiar with and trust. So if you can build those relationships with them and provide them with some resources, that's a great way for you to get in contact with them too and kind of have that natural progression uh, of them funneling those students right your way. Everyone's an ambassador, but is everyone a good ambassador? Right. So like uh, that would make or work to make people a better ambassador. <laughs> so yeah, Lauren, uh, you had mentioned ambassadorship. And part of me wonders what role should current graduate students have in promoting their program or being ambassadors uh, for the program with current undergraduate students? Because I would think there's some potential, you know, weirdness there if you're, you don't, you don't have the right guardrails up. Well, your current grad students tell the story, how they got there. They provide representation for prospective students that they can do what they've done. They can follow that same path. They can go through and work their way towards the individual outcomes that they want. Um, for us, if we are looking at undergrad students that went on to grad school, then that's just another built-in kind of true referral or true testimonial. We know sometimes students are a little bit weary of testimonials now. Um, but if they see those stories and they see that somebody was them and then moved on to the graduate program, it makes it a little bit uh, more genuine, possibly, because they know that that person followed potentially the same path that they want to take. Definitely. It like even seems less salesy to them that it's not something you're trying to push on them. It's something that they've kind of organically thought of and it's they can follow that same path, like Lauren said. It's all about them seeing themselves in that position. And it's a lot easier for them to do when they can see somebody who's kind of taken that same journey as them versus somebody just telling them, well, this is what you could do. That's conversational marketing, Mike. Right. So Lexi Croisdale, producer extraordinaire, is going to ask the question for our um, audience. Lexi? Yes, thank you, Greg. Um, I actually had a question or a comment come in to me personally through direct message. And it's for a fellow attendee who's also part of a small school. And they're really curious about what other institutions do because their faculty tend to feel students should go elsewhere for grad degrees because Ooh. of the fact that they're a small school. Wow. So any advice we can share there, how to combat this feeling? Talking about ambassadors, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, Lauren, we'll start with you on that. Well, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, it's I guess it, it would depend on your school. It would depend on your offerings. Uh, for example, you might have an undergrad, say you have pre-med, and those students are most likely, if you don't have top-notch science programs or medical programs, they might not stay at your school. Um, so it's, it's a little bit tough there because if you, if you don't have the offerings for them and then you have faculty that are pushing them to go elsewhere, it's a little bit more difficult to then put your you know, options out there. Maybe you then utilize current students or graduate alumni a little bit more and show their outcomes because what we're finding at least, outcomes are what students are looking for. So if you can show um, 
this one student who maybe had a similar background that stayed at the school, uh, they chose this route. And they, these are the jobs that you know they came up with afterwards. Maybe that will give you a little bit more backing on the student side. Faculty side, though, that's a little bit tricky because faculty will do what faculty do. Um, we can provide as much information and maybe you have to provide a little bit more information. Maybe you have to get a little bit more creative. Maybe you go after your career services offices who work with students too and try that angle if they have faculty in one year saying go elsewhere. Maybe career services, grad, um, maybe advisors are in this ear saying, well, have you thought about this at least? Look at all of your options. Make sure everything's on the table. Great answer. Mike Seaman, can you do better than that? I don't think that I could answer that any better than Lauren did. The only thing I'll add to it, too, is to check and see what sort of incentives you're currently offering those current students to stay on board. If you're not really offering them anything, well, that really doesn't aid in your cause to get them when the faculty are pushing uh, to get them out. But if you have some incentives to keep them to stay and then you can convey that to faculty, that might be something that could help kind of sway them into trying to, to push them your direction instead of elsewhere off campus. They both did points, I like putting our guests on the spot. Yeah, and that actually segues into uh, the next question that we had from Karen was asking, do colleges offer any incentives to alums to return, like scholarships or tuition reductions? Um, Mary added in the chat that her school provides an alumni advantage discount based on the number of credit hours the student earned while at the institution. Right. Jennifer chimed in that um, she has a program like that as well. And then Josie said that their institution offers an automatic 50% at a minimum tuition scholarship to alums and current students if they admit a grad program at that institution. Very cool. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think the more you can do to incentivize them, because they're they're extremely hyper cost sensitive these days. That's something that weighs top on mind. I remember when I was working with Lauren in grad admissions, one of the first questions that was always asked, well, how much in addition is this going to cost me? That's something that they're really focused on. If you have those opportunities to provide them with financial incentives, one that's going to make you look really good as an option because they already know who you are and you've already taken some money from them. So anything you can do to, to limit that is a huge step in the right direction. Uh, there also, also is challenges for sure if you're not offering scholarships, but there are other ways to work around that too if you do have good programs um, and, and ways for them to succeed that way. But anytime you can offer those financial incentives or uh, those financial incentives, it's a huge way for you to kind of make those inroads with the students. Awesome. Not only um, the tuition incentives, but um, the return on investment in terms of like job placement and um, internships and uh, assistantships and such. Um, find ways to promote that and get that into your communications for sure. Did we have another question? Because we have a whole list, Lexi, but do we have another one coming up in our chat? Not currently, but put them in there. We want to keep answering them. Yes. And, and if I may circle back to, to what we were talking about in terms of staff being ambassadors, um, you know, you mentioned graduate assistantships. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the most natural spot for current graduate students and staff to be ambassadors because they can say, look, I do this every day. I study coursework in the evening. Um, you know, if you enjoy doing this, you could be just like mm -hmm. me in another year, two years, et cetera. I guess the barriers, um, and, and we, we this comes up a lot on mm -hmm. FYI, because yes. no matter what department um, we're talking to, we're talking about often communication, communicating with students and alumni and prospective students. There has to be barriers in the undergraduate admissions as well. Um, what are those? Let's identify some of those just based on your experience, and I'll start with Lauren. So 
it's going to depend on, on how you set up your admissions office, mm-hmm. especially. Um, so for us, we are a little bit lucky in that we get to decision a lot of our applications. So we will do our own review. Um, sometimes we include faculty if the student might have a low GPA, but by us making the decisions, it allows us to also kind of control the admissions requirements. So there are some programs that provide us a little bit more flexibility where we can do kind of quick applications and they don't have to do a full application because we've set what those requirements are. And that allows us to be able to move them through as quickly as possible to Mike's point about, you know, making sure that they're responded to fairly quickly and getting what they need, uh, making the admissions process as easy as possible especially if you're looking at your own population of undergrads, they're already here. So you may have access to a lot of the items that you might normally require. So if you need transcripts, your registrar would have your transcripts. If you need their resume, maybe their career center has their resumes on file. Um, if you can get away without letters of recommendation, maybe or maybe if you do require them, look at your built-in referral process, maybe from staff members or other faculty members. So trying to utilize what's already available to you on campus. Um, obviously, there are some programs, maybe there are accreditation requirements that won't allow you to do that. So kind of maybe start again, start small and see maybe one particular group that you can work with. If you can start to show results that, you know, you've been able to get more students this way, maybe that, again, gives you more buy-in to expand to other departments to get, you know, from faculty to say, I can make this process a little bit easier for you and our students. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. And maybe that's enough to get them to reconsider potentially what barriers they have in place uh, application-wise, because that tends to be what we see. Application requirements are usually a big barrier for students. It's almost like they're looking for the path of least resistance too, especially with your own current students. A lot of them might not think that they have to submit things because they already think, well, I'm here. I already have a relationship. I know things that that go on here. I should just be able to do things a little bit differently, which is a great opportunity for you two to reevaluate some of the admissions requirements you might have for programs. I think especially during the pandemic, a lot of things changed, uh, which is a great opportunity for you to kind of leverage that and see what actually is essential for you and your offices or your faculty that they need to review an application and maybe making some changes to make things more instantaneous for the students, um, especially with how quickly they're looking for responses. A lot of the times they want to know, well, what can I do? Can I get in today? Uh, if you can make that process as streamlined and easy as possible, you'll find it uh, pretty easy to kind of have those conversations with them to get them to complete those uh, application requirements. If they know exactly what's needed and you can streamline it for them. It came up last week. It's going to come up again. The yes. opportunity in higher education to take a look at the processes in place, see where there are barriers that are holding things up for staff and students and making changes. And a big part of that, that Lauren and Mike both mentioned, advocating for yourself and your own department, having proof that cleaning up processes and making sure that all of the systems are all on the same page, um, what that can do um, as a return on investment for your institution is pretty huge. Absolutely. Yes. And and it's interesting, you both mentioned the, the expectation for a quick review or perhaps a, a less or more lenient review. Uh, wh- what have you found is the expectation for your current students and your uh, and your alumni in that process? Like how quickly do they actually want a graduate admissions decision typically? The day of <laughs> sometimes. I don't know if other people are experiencing this as well. Um, I mean, their response times and everything 
the timeline has shortened tremendously. Mm. I mean, how quickly we have to respond to emails, how quickly we have to respond to the initial outreach for an inquiry, how quickly we can get them what's missing on the application. Everything is fast, fast, fast. They want to hear that because you think about it, this group, if we're looking at a younger group, they're used to having information at their fingertips. So we have to then shift what we do to match their expectations. We always talk about meeting students where they are at. If they are at a point where they want to hear within a day, let's see if we can do that within our processes and make that happen for them. If not, can we at least notify them of when they would expect to receive a decision? What do you think, Mike? I couldn't agree more. The faster you can respond to them, the better off things are going to be for everybody. Um, and, and that again goes to those processes, reevaluating those and taking a look to see how you can streamline things moving forward. And I would I would add to the to what Mike and Lawrence said, um, but maybe with a little caveat. Um, and you can tell me if this is true in the chat for your institution. I don't think that it's just the younger students that want an answer right away. I'm old. I want to know when I'm communicating with a business or an institution or anyone or even a colleague. Like I want to know right away. I am. Uh, I have adapted to technology and how fast things happen. So if you are communicating with um, alumni from ten years ago, you know, make sure you're always prompt with your responses, as prompt as you can be, realizing that your workload is probably like out of control, just like everyone else's in our audience today. So it doesn't necessarily always have to be the kids that get answers right away. I think um, every age group wants quick answers. And Lauren, I'm sorry if I missed this. Did you, do you have a guideline in the office in terms of how quick you want to have a decision? Well, not necessarily a guideline. Um, it also depends on time of year. Sure. So if we are running up right until the start of the semester, we will turn things around as quickly as possible because we need to get students in. Um, if we have a little bit more time to work with and we know that they're not going to be able to register right away, um, maybe they don't need the decision that day or the next day, we can hold for maybe two to three. Uh, but ideally, we want to get them a decision as quickly as possible. Um, for some programs, they do take a little bit longer because there are some that require faculty review and a committee review. Um, but we have to outline that ahead of time just to give expectations of when they would hear a decision. Awesome. I think we have uh, some questions that have come up, Lexi. Yeah, we've got one question from Michelle back on the idea of incentives for alumni, either a scholarship. What's the best way to get administrative um, on board with that if they may not be supported of it? This is what we had to do at our institution. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear it. <laughs> um, well, we had to show that we have students that will go right into the graduate program. Um, luckily for us, it turned out that we, our administration was reviewing this during COVID. So we used that as an opportunity. They felt more comfortable if we said that we would give this to five years out undergrads. That's what we started with. Um, we were able to secure a scholarship. We showed that we have, Kinesis is our top feeder, has consistently been we bring these students through, and there aren't a lot of opportunities funding-wise at the graduate level compared to the undergrad level. So also their expectations. I don't know if anybody else on this um, has experienced this, but our grad students are kind of expecting the same level of financial aid, scholarship, even information that they received at the undergrad level on the graduate side. So for us, we didn't really have a lot to offer, which was able to kind of come up with a plan, come up with a proposal on having an alumni scholarship. 
like I said, we've just got it for, at that time, only alums who were five years out. Um, but luckily, because we were able to show that people took advantage of it, we have more students coming through um, and staying, then we were able to continue that. I think, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I, we first, I think it was only for one year we were going to look at it. It was kind yep. of a pilot program for one year to see if it would be beneficial for students. Yeah, definitely. And I think the more data that you can show them about how many students are looking to continue, and then even showing if you've got interest from students who go elsewhere, that's where that clearinghouse data can come in handy too. If you're showing them that you're losing students because of this, and you can bring them in if you were to offer them some sort of financial incentive, well, that's a great starting point for you to jump off of too. And then like Lauren said earlier, you can start small if you have to. If they're not on board with offering it for every single one of your programs, start with one, maybe two programs that you think might have the biggest draw and, and be able to get students in. Uh, that way you have that data then to go forth and say, well, it's worked with this. Let's try it with these other programs now too. Data is king. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I would think as a segue too, when we talk about, you know, the vaunted enrollment cliff, um, we look at the demographic shifts in America, um, you know, frankly, building up your graduate program is probably a great way to supplement your potential downturns in undergraduate enrollment. Do you think that's a, that's a thing that's going to happen? Is that a trend? Ooh, that's, that's going to depend on a few things. I think it's going to depend on your institution. It's going to depend on the market uh, as well as your offerings. I think there's potential, um, but from what we've seen, at least me personally, this is the fastest changing demographic for grad school recruitment that I have been a part of in how long I've been doing this. I mean, what you did last year, maybe what you did over the summer, it could be irrelevant right now. We are facing so many changes and expectations of students. I think there's just, there's a lot going on, um, but I think it would depend on what you offer at your institution, if it's even possible, but also you have to keep an eye on what the market is showing, what the demographics are. Um, I, years ago, I would say yes. Now I, I'm a little bit in the middle. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, and it may be the first area that institutions look to to say, well, if our undergrad numbers are down, we're going to have to boost grad numbers. And I think that's a great way to kind of open that door to have those conversations of if we need to do that, we're going to have to try some new things. Here are some things that we might be able to do, because like Lauren said, what worked last year is not working. What worked five years isn't working. There's definitely some opportunities for you to just kind of revamp everything and go forward from that. Do you think articulation agreements could be a way to bolster um, numbers as well, potentially in graduate recruiting? Yeah, if you can work out any potential pipelines, bring students in, however you have to do it. If you have to get creative and look outside, if your institution is not one that's going to incentivize your undergrads to stay, it's going to force you to look outside of it. So do you have partner institutions that you could form these articulation agreements with? Do you have faculty who are graduates of institutions that could have potential you know, prospective grad students for you? utilize who you have. And if you have existing partnerships in place, maybe they're at the undergrad level. Can you expand them to the grad level? Um, do you have them with career um, services that they have different things going on there that you can use? The more you can get connected with who you have at your institution and what they're doing and just kind of tack on the grad piece, that's an easy way to get started. And then you can build from there because then you can show results too. 
in addition to that too, I think you also have the opportunity if you have undergraduate programs that are those natural feeders into your grad programs, do they have the opportunity to take some grad classes at the undergraduate level? And if so, that's a great way to kind of get them hooked and also kind of accelerate their time throughout your, your graduate program. Because as we all know, they're looking to get completed as quick as possible. And if you can offer them those courses at the undergraduate level that they're then able to use towards their grad program, well, that's a great way to kind of incentivize them too, that they're going to stay on board because they're committed to it. It's a great way to stop faculty from sending students to other <laughs> schools as well. It's, sure. it's all tied in. It's a little harder for those rogue faculty to do something like that. That's a good point. Q&A, Mike, or do you got another one? Why don't we go to Q&A? Q&A, because a good question did pop up in the Q&A. We want our audience represented. Lexi, what do we have? Yeah, I'm excited for this question from Devin. Um, they're wanting to know, like, from besides... Besides from your ambassadors of faculty and staff or influencers, how do you get the word out to undergraduate students about the graduate programs? Is this through texting campaigns, via email, mailers to parents, social media, campus events? Um, how do you get that word out? Please say texting campaigns. Please say, <laughs> please say texting campaigns. And chats. And chats. So for us um, specifically, the first thing that we do is we get the list of current, well, we did get the list of students, seniors who had applied for graduation until we realized that not all of them had applied yet. So we had to switch that and do list of currently registered seniors. From there, we developed an email piece that went out that talked about, you know, graduating, what's not sure what's next. And then we had to kind of give them a little bit of incentives for like why a master's degree? What are the benefits of a master's degree? But then Again, we're a smaller school, like I said, I keep mentioning that, but just to give you um, that mindset, Mike and I went through this list to vet it. So first we looked through and figured out which majors they were coming from, because when I talked about that level of influence, we then decided on a few graduate program options based on their undergrad major. And we would say, based on your undergrad major, you might be like a good candidate for this program. Have you thought about this program and linked to it? So that way, one, we can measure clicks. Are they clicking on those programs for follow-up pieces? Um, and just try to gauge their interest. So it starts originally um, with an email piece that goes out. That's what we've done in the past. Uh, we have now uh, posters up all over campus that say, you know, continue on at Canisius to make sure that students are aware that we have graduate programs for them. But we also connected to our career services office. So we have done presentations to undergrad students to talk about grad school in general. And then we get a little bit more specific kind of the soft sell of our programs, but we do one on grad in general. One thing that I've talked about in the past, we kind of take for granted that students know how to look for programs, how to apply, how to even navigate a website. We, that's what we do every day. We know these things, but students aren't looking at the website in the same way that we are. They're not finding things in the same way that we think that they should. Um, they're searching in an entirely different way because we know we do it day in, day out. So we started there. Um, we have ads that go up as well. Um, Mike, you want to touch on anything else that we've done in the past? Yeah, I think targeting parents is another key piece to this too, because like Lauren said earlier, they're looking to be influenced. And one of their biggest influencers is probably going to be their parents. 
um, having that ability to reach out to them, whether it's by email, whether it's by text message, whichever medium you have is going to be a great way to kind of add in those additional layers. It's really about building different pieces and different layers onto it and not just a one kind of faceted approach. The more ways you can get in front of them, the longer that you can get in front of them, it really builds that recognition and that ability uh, for them to kind of know where they have to go from there. It's interesting. I wouldn't have factored in parents into a grad student conversation, but I guess that's still a factor. And obviously, um, so, um, so that's a great point by Mike. But if you're talking about communicating with um, grad students or uh, potential grad students perspective, excuse me, um, grad students, you want to get into their mind. Um, what are they thinking? What are they up against? What factors tend to be uh, the most important for prospective grad students uh, when they're considering um, your institution's graduate programs? And as simple as it sounds, reach out to your current grad students, those grad assistants that Mike alluded to earlier, they were prospective grad students probably the year before or that year. What were they thinking? What were some of the questions that they were asking? They're a great resource to kind of tap into to make sure that you really understand what those prospective students are looking for and then how you can better craft and tailor your messages to them. I know also asking students their preferred method of communication. Not everybody's gonna read emails. Not everybody's gonna wanna answer text messages if they want a phone call. Really understanding their preferred method of communication is going to allow you to even hyper-target to that group uh, to make sure that they're getting what's relevant to them. Yeah, and if you can do any classroom visits, uh, we've had some faculty members do that themselves, or uh, oftentimes we can go into classrooms. Um, fortunately, Mike and, and myself, uh, we're, we're adjuncts as well, so we have a nice little inside inside view on uh, what they're thinking. Um, I always plug in grad messaging for my class, but it also helps me to understand how they're searching, which is, like I said, um, completely different than what I expected. They don't know how to navigate the website. They do not know how to find graduate programs. And I think we've taken that for granted, just assuming that they know how to get the information that they need. It's spying, but it's good spying. It's spying for everyone's benefit, so it's okay. Spying because we care. Yes, yeah. that is. Yeah. Uh, you know, anecdotally, coming from my experience and talking to other people. This is going to be a long story. Probably. Uh, speaking to other people who have attended grad school, it seems like the process for graduate programs, graduate admissions is generally less competitive. Do you find that that's true? And regardless, how do institutions... Um, stand out, you know, whether it be locally, nationally, regionally, internationally. Mike, you want to start that one? Yeah, I think that depends because it, 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 it's going to vary by program, by school of how competitive something is going to be. And a lot of the times you're dealing with the local market. If you're maybe dealing with uh, people that are already employed, already have a job, uh, it's a different group that you're going to target than somebody who's just graduated from undergrad and might be willing to move places. So there's definitely a lot of factors that play into there. So I don't know if it's less competitive, but it's a different kind of competitive based off of what programs you offer and where exactly you're located. So you would say that you might not be competing so much against another institution as so much entering the workforce versus not. I think that's definitely a big competitor right now is the job market. Um, that might be a huge factor for a lot of people that are weighing, well, can I postpone this for five years? Can I postpone this for two years? What's kind of the benefits of me doing this now versus doing it later is, is a, a question that a lot of people are asking at this point in time for sure. So how close uh, do you pay attention to in your particular, um, uh, I, I guess this might be a better question for faculty, but since you ad hoc, this might be um, a relevant question for you. Um, you really do have to pay attention to what's being offered out there in the job market versus what your institution can offer a student down the road. 
Yeah, this is why it's important to have those relationships with not just faculty, but also your career services centers. So for example, I cover education programs and one of my faculty members said that the undergraduate group that were graduated in May, they're holding off and waiting until they know that they have a teaching position before they will say that they will come back for grad school, which I, if I didn't know that, I would just wonder where they was going on. So I had a little bit more information to go off of because that faculty member works with them um, on the student teaching side and knew that they were waiting to see what was going to happen with their job before they committed to grad school. If you work with your career services office or if you work with alumni that does the uh, survey at the end, that's going to give you more information on are they going out right away and getting a job. If you know that, that might shift your recruitment strategy completely because if those students aren't there, then you're focusing on somebody else. When you're assembling your, your graduate programs and, and the cohorts, how important is creating a sense of diversity in terms of the institutions represented by the undergraduates? So for example, if you have a graduate program, you might not want all uh, giant research one institutions. You might not want all smaller, stereotypically liberal arts institutions, right? Is that true or, or do you not really care so much about that? mix? If you are in a position to be selective <laughs> to grad level right now, it's a great spot to be in. Um, we are not in that position. So, you know, we're, we're fighting for students left and right. And I don't know if anybody else on, on here is feeling the same way, but we're doing, we're having to do so much more to try to recruit these students where you asked six years ago, it was, they went to the website, they filled out the application, they applied, they came through and started the program. They have, they're so much more savvy. They're so much more hyper aware of cost and outcomes and value and trying to identify what is the best opportunity for them and then which school is going to do that for them. So if you're in a position that you can be selective and can kind of build out that cohort, that's fantastic. Um, but for us personally, I, I can't do that. Gotta, gotta meet our enrollment goals. And that goes back to, too, being able to respond in that timely fashion and being able to personalize your communications with them. They have all these options. They have all these opportunities to really pick and choose what they want to do. So how can you make yourself really stand out and be somebody that they see themselves at? Yeah, because and you can respond to this and tell me if I'm wrong, but um, a student's um, time at an institution may have been great. They may have loved everything about their major and the programs and everyone they worked with, but it just turns out the major didn't work out. And I think of, I always make things very personal because my sure. wife had to completely start her career over after the pandemic. And then she went into a completely 180 different, um, uh, she's in school right now, um, getting a graduate degree and something she would have never thought she was doing. So that relationship having been established um, you really do just have to keep it up because um, you, you never know what a student is thinking, but also they might like your institution. So a different opportunity that's in a different direction might still be, um, I guess, uh, something that they want. Yeah. For sure. And I think a big thing, too, is if your institution is launching new programs, how often are you communicating that to current students and to alumni? If it's something they don't know about and they don't that's think to associate to you with it, that's a great way for you to kind of keep fresh in mind with them, too, and, and keep that connection going. Mike should co-host because that's what I, he's better at. This than I <laughs> very confusing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's okay. Um, it's just so this, this next question's for Mike. <laughs> That'll be the running joke every single go. episode. Boy, you need to say something because I am dying. <laughs> so you had mentioned earlier about parental engagement. 
I'm curious, what are those conversations like? Are parents receptive to it? Because I think about my own parents and if I would approach them and, and said, you know, hey, you know, I'm thinking of staying on a Canisius, they'd say, well, I just gave them, you know, X number of dollars. I don't know if I feel comfortable giving them two more years of that. Is that a conversation you hear or is that, uh, you know, just overblown paranoia? Well, luckily for us, um, our vice president has really put a focus on dual enrollment programs, four plus ones. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that heavy lift is actually being done at the undergrad level. And I think I saw somebody put in the chat um, dual enrollment undergrad to grad. Um, so that is really built in recruitment because you're putting that information out there ahead of time at the undergrad level. Um, for us on the grad level, it's just kind of continuing that conversation of you're going to be supported here. If I'm talking to a parent and their child already went here for undergrad, they usually know that they've had a pretty good experience with faculty and staff that care about them. So capitalize on that. You'll still be supported. We'll see you through. And then you're getting an advanced degree. You're getting a master's degree. We'll set you up for all these different opportunities depending on your career path. So really just reinforcing the message of care and support and tie back to what's already been kind of done at the groundwork for the undergrad side. So right now it's been a little bit of, a little bit mix of both, but undergrads pretty much doing the heavy lift on our side for that. And if you're fortunate enough to have an undergraduate uh, admission staff that is able to do that, and those programs are built in um, at that undergraduate level, well, it's a lot easier to sell for somebody to commit to six years when they're doing college uh, searches at that point than it is maybe when the job market is looking great when they do graduate. So if you have the opportunity to do that, it's an awesome opportunity to really capitalize on. Yes, we had a comment come in from Karen. Again, more employment availability to education majors allows them to work first, then return for grad school. Um, and it may be more profitable for them to wait those two years. Then we had a question from Jennifer. She wants to know, can you talk a little bit more about plus ones? It seems our regional accreditor has severely limited these. Ooh, good question, Jennifer. Thank you. So if, if you have some limitations, um, you might have to get a little bit more creative where maybe it's not really said and packaged as a plus one, but can you give them opportunities and pathways to finish within a year? Do you have other things where maybe they're taking courses at the undergrad level, grad courses at the undergrad level, they're working with faculty and advisors to kind of put themselves in a position to finish out in one year, um, if that's possible, um, kind of, I don't want to say sneak around the system, but <laughs> can you get a little bit more creative with um, maybe even some of the program directors at the grad side that are doing a little bit more advisement for undergrads on what potentially they could take to put them in position to be able to finish in a year or what, what will be required for them to do it in one year? How many classes will they need to take each semester to get it done in one year? If that's not a possibility, talk to them about a two-year program. If they're working, if they find themselves working, then maybe they only are taking classes part-time. I think it's a little bit tricky too, because right now we're seeing a lot the job market and people are getting jobs right away. We kind of have to balance both of what does it mean to stay on full-time and continue in one year? What does it mean to start working and take classes part-time? So it might be a little bit more advisement even on the grad side of their opportunities and knowing everything that's available to them if you're able to do that. Don't quote me on that one. We cut that part out <laughs> so learn a spy and a sneak. <laughs> That's the, but no, this is good. This is gritty. Like it's getting the work done. I like it. So um, we're not done yet. We are not. No, it's been the fastest hour of my life, but we've got more. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, first of all, if you do have any questions, again, it's probably the last chance to get those in. Um, so please do if you have questions or comments. But um, Lauren, are there any key takeaways you'd want uh, institutions to take away from today's Ooh. episode? Yeah, so key takeaways. Try new things. Uh, if you can work on your connections with your faculty, uh, collaboration, relationships have been really critical for what we've been doing um, in order to build out new strategies, you know, learn the program from their perspective, utilize other offices across campus who are already speaking with these students, combine messages where you can, um, keep people updated on what your initiatives are, because if the more information you give them, that could help in return for them to, you know, provide you with prospective students or even to kind of encourage current students to stay on. So that way they, again, they have people that they know have supported them and now it's just helping the overall message. Yeah, very good. And I think what Lauren said too, that the relationships aren't gonna happen overnight. It's something you're gonna have to put that time and effort and the work into. But once you do build those relationships, you're gonna start seeing really the, the fruits of that. Um, I think another thing to really emphasize is the timeliness in your response to these students, uh, being able to kind of meet them where they are. I know that's something Lauren mentioned uh, frequently throughout today, but meeting them where they are and understanding what their expectations are is going to be huge for your success going forward. Great takeaways from our guests. Yes. Uh, we super appreciate that. Uh, this episode, I did not mention right off the top, but um, I should note, is brought to you by Mongoose, makers of Cadence, higher ed's premier engagement platform. Mike, um, that was great. It was. It was good. You did. We made every message count. We did. We did. Um, yeah. I want to thank both go. Lauren and Mike um, for joining us today. Thank you so much for your um, for your insight and uh, you know answering all of our questions. Thanks, Lexi. Um, for producing and getting all of those nice. straight, um, all the questions straight um, in our conversation. Uh, we're going to do this again, Mike. About uh, Giving Tuesday. So for those who are in the advancement space, obviously Giving Tuesday is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. It is a giant fundraising day. So we'll talk about how institutions can uh, maximize their impacts on those days. We will have Lauren Yeager from Mongoose and Brian Gower, who is the resident giving geek at Ruffalo and Levitz. That's his title, not our we are not calling him a geek. Uh, very excited for the episode in two weeks. But thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Marsha and Andy and Devin and Dewana and Diana. Yes. All saying thank you and for representing yourself in the chat and being with us here for this conversation. Absolutely. Lauren, Mike, go Griffs. Thank you for joining. Oh, uh, thanks for having <laughs> us. Yes. We look forward to seeing you in two weeks. <laughs>